Welcome to Yacht College's FPW 202 Refined Wine Tasting Course. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, the self-appointed dean of Yacht College. I'll be taking a very secondary role today, uh, but before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone of two things. Uh, if you like what you see today, you've got almost two weeks worth of courses that you can join by visiting yachtcon.eventbrite.com. Uh, I should also add that we are doing this as a fundraiser for the Seattle Children's Autism Center. You can take a make a tax-deductible donation to them by visiting give.seattlechildrens.org slash yachtcon. So with all that said, I will be making room for today's professor, Paul Zitarelli of Full Pull Wines. Thank you, Jeremiah. So you may remember you may remember Full Pull as the longest longest tenured sponsor of No Sarietes, but what you may not know is that Paul is a genuine wine expert. In addition to being a Harvard-trained applied mathematician, he's a WSET diploma holder and the author of 36 bottles of wine. Uh, Paul, thank you for doing this. I am extremely excited to, to be uh, see how this goes. Thanks, Jeremiah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity and it's a good cause. And yeah, definitely, you know, as you know, whenever I list my bio, I put Nosadietes sponsorship as the of number course. one thing before all that other stuff. Yeah, that's the most important thing uh, on there, I think. Uh, but let's get let's also introduce our celebrity students. Uh, really excited. These are two of the newest sounders. Uh, the first one is Spencer Ritchie. What's up, guys? Spencer. How we doing? Welcome. Welcome. So uh, how so Spencer is a Seattle native who attended Roosevelt High School. He played club soccer at Crossfire and then spent five years with the Washington Huskies before being drafted by the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, before finally making it back to Seattle this offseason. Uh, so how excited are you to be back in Seattle, Spencer? For sure, man. It's It it, it sounds cheesy, but it really is a, a dream come true. I remember being, you know, 12, 13, 14, growing up, um, attending every Seattle sport you could, you could name, and um, you know, even watching the inaugural match, uh, you know, I was down in Florida that time, actually down at residency and thinking, damn, it'd be pretty cool to, to end up playing for the Sounders one day. So it's still a little bit surreal. I'm sure it'll fully hit me when, uh, we have our first game at Lumen Field with some fans in there and all that good stuff. So, um, it's been a fun first two weeks and I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. So real quick, what can you tell us about your wine knowledge? I don't. I think I might be the less experienced of the two students uh, in the class tonight. Callan is a little bit more uh, of a wine connoisseur than me, but uh, I would say I'm probably around average. I know, you know, what reds I like. Um, I'm not really a white wine guy, but um, you know, it, it could use some improvement. Well, good. Hopefully, we can we can fill that gap. So, as you alluded to, uh, our second guest, our second celebrity student, is. Kellen Rowe. Bring Kellen Rowe on out. Hello, hello. He's been so, drinking for the last half hour already. Look at this guy. I know. He's, he's ready to go. Uh, so in case you don't know, Kellen is also a local product. He, he attended Federal Way High School, and then he played with Spencer, actually, at Crossfire. Uh, he then went to UCLA and was the number three overall pick in the 2012 MLS Superdraft. It may have taken him a bit longer than he hoped to find his way back home to Seattle, but he did sign with the Sounders this offseason as well. He's a bit of a wine aficionado. Uh, recently, <laughs> he, you got his WSET Level 2, which I think that that's very fancy, right? It's I, not as fancy 
uh, as Paul over there with the diploma. But uh, I'm working my I'm, I'm about half about halfway there, so I'm working my way there. Well, good. Well, um, with all that said, I think I'm just going to get out of the way and let Paul kind of take over here and and have some fun with this. All right, that Love sounds it. great. Um, so just to just to sort of set the scene for tonight, I think we're we're expecting the class to run about an hour, but uh, I'm happy to hang around uh, as long as we need to for Q and A at the end. Also, feel free to um, send your questions in <clears throat> through the various uh, methods for that chat boxes. Uh, and I think Jeremiah will be happy to interrupt us at any point and uh, and ask questions, which is great. Um, I also want to say. Uh, I am probably not going to get right into uh, tasting these wines, but that should not stop our students from getting right into it. Um, <laughs> it is uh, it is St. Patrick's Day, and while we're not drinking green beer tonight, I think uh, <laughs> I think we probably all deserve plenty of wine after the year that we've been through. So, uh, so feel free to to start checking out both wines. Um, and I did want to uh, I did want to ask our celebrity guests one question before we we dig into our first topic, which is um, I'm curious to hear. Uh, you know, the first, the first wine that I ever tasted was, uh, an ice cold Behringer, uh, white Zinfandel from my parents' <laughs> basement, basement freezer, sticky, sweet, and delicious. And, you know, that started this whole journey. So I'm, I'm curious to hear if you guys remember what was the, what was the first wine that you tasted? And then, uh, and then what was the, the first wine that you actually paid attention to? Go ahead, Spence. Uh, I, think, uh, I think my first wine, I don't know how proud you're going to meet of me paul but i think i was getting carlo rossi i think it was yeah. called. is that a thing you get it like in the big jug and you could yeah. do the thing like with the put it over oh, your boy. bicep and yeah. um, <laughs> i was of age of course but um i think that was uh that or franzia yeah, that was a kind of a go-to in the uh the college scene i feel like neither were good at all but um <laughs> I feel like later when I started to kind of enjoy wine, I started buying Yellowtail. It was like kind of like $10 a bottle that I could justify as a kid with no money. Um, but trying to, trying to please my now wife that, uh, I, you know, I was into red wine and mature and all that. So that's, uh, that was sort of the first, uh, beginning of my journey of red wine. Right on. <laughs> about you? I, uh, I don't remember my first glass of wine. Um, I remember getting tastes and such from my family growing up and, and they love their Napa wine. So it's gotta be something from Sonoma or Napa. Um, but I remember the wine that got me that my aha bottle, that kind of O bottle, um, was 2014 von Strasser, a vineyard. Um, it's, I remember having it at the vineyard in the, in the barrel room with my family. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I, I really want to get into this stuff. Got it. And down the rabbit hole you went. Oh, you big, big time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the first topic. So uh, the first topic for tonight, I like to call, um, why the hell do you do it like that? And that is, uh, and what we're going to dive into is why you see um, wine professionals or people who pay attention to it a lot, sort of uh, taste and evaluate wines a little differently than, um, than a lot of other folks do. Um, and so the, fir the first thing that I want to say is uh, it's perfectly fine to not do it this way and to just drink the wine uh, and enjoy it for, uh, for what it is, which sometimes is just an alcohol uh, delivery device. Um, 
but if you want to start to if you want to start to evaluate wine instead of um, instead of just enjoying it, then uh, the most important thing that you need to remember is you have to slow down. Slowing down and and actually paying attention um, is the number one thing. But within that, there there are kind of a, a number of easy steps that uh, that sort of force you to slow down. So um, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, is swirling. So. Uh, you'll often see uh, you'll often see folks like us pick up pick up a glass, and a lot of times, uh, first thing you'll do is uh, is smell, take a good sniff before um, before you swirl, and then and then give it a swirl. And usually, you'll see with that second sniff, you'll see um, significantly more pronounced aromas. Uh, part of what's interesting about wine, especially interesting as a product is that it really is kind of a living creature and, um, and it's a chameleon that changes mostly in its relation to oxygen exposure. So, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is introducing oxygen, um, into the wine to, to sort of let it show, uh, let it show its best. So the reason that the reason that we're swirling is basically to introduce more oxygen, to aerate the wine and to concentrate the aromas, you know, depending on your glass shape into, a narrow aperture um, that allow you to uh, to to uh, perceive a broader amount of uh, of aromas. So, do you guys you guys notice a difference um, between a, a, a sniff without swirling and a and a sniff with with swirling? Completely, big difference. Yeah. Um, Another another interesting fact. I don't know if this is true. I'll have to ask you guys. So I've I've heard that about ninety percent of people naturally swirl their glass counterclockwise, and only about ten percent uh, do it clockwise. So what's 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 your natural direction, Kellen? What do you do? I'm counter on my right hand. Clock. I always go in. So oh, clockwise on my left hand, counterclockwise on my right hand, and I have tried to do the opposite, and it is. It flood. feels weird, right? The flood. Yeah, it doesn't really. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I you were in the, yeah. the southern hemisphere, maybe you could swirl. The, <laughs> the toilet bowls go the other way. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's so hard to do it the opposite way. I'm yeah. a counterclockwise yeah. guy as well, but the other way feels like I can only go left to right. Yeah, yeah. I can do it on the uh, on the ground or on the table. I can do it on the table the opposite way. That's easier. You just guide it, but up yeah. in the air, that's that's danger waiting to happen. That's true. Jeremiah, you just swirled like someone who maybe has never uh, swirled across the wine before. <laughs> I was I was I was trying to go backwards. <laughs> oh god, that, well, that, that was not backwards. That was not backwards. <laughs> There's no mirror on this. <laughs> All right. So uh, so that's why we swirl. Um, now uh, why do we why do we smell wine? Uh, you know, may seem obvious, but uh, but smell and taste are inextricably linked to each other. I mean, it's, it's the reason, you know, you think about it when you, uh, you know, when you catch a cold, which is, I realize is a little bit of a heavier thing right now. Uh, but when you catch a, just a regular boring, uh, you know, old school coronavirus, uh, and get a stuffy nose, you know, you'll often notice that, that food doesn't taste the same. It's not only that you can't smell it, you basically can't taste it. And so, um, you know, one of the reasons that we, that we smell wine and really like, you know, get your nose in there and, and get a good sniff is that you're, you're priming your palate. Um, you're sort of priming your, your taste buds to, to know what to look for. Um, 
And especially when you're, you know, when you're really evaluating wine, one of the, one of the places where it's really helpful is, um, you know, you can kind of, you can smell flavors to some degree. Like you can, you can kind of start to smell the type of fruit, whether it's a, uh, whether it's, you know, a red fruit or a blue fruit or a black fruit, but you can't smell texture. You can only really taste that. So if you sort of preserve the tasting portion for focusing more on uh, texture and really use the the smelling portion of the evaluation to to get a sense for what the flavors are going to be, um, you know that'll that'll take you a long way. Now, if and I should say, if I were if I were actually evaluating this, another important uh, way to slow down is you could start to write a tasting note. Um, now that's a little that's a little beyond if you're not uh, you know if you're not actually working in wine. But if you want to start to sort of force yourself to pay attention, um, you know, writing writing notes is not a bad idea. Um, Kellen, have you gotten well, to a point where well, you're... It, yeah, it's funny you say that. I actually had COVID over Christmas. And so I lost my smell of my smell and my taste. Um, and when I got my taste back first and I had tried, my smell was coming back. It wasn't all the way there. And I had tried some wine uh, and I still couldn't get any kind of flavor to it. All I got was the alcohol. Oh. I could test the acidity and, and the tannin, but I couldn't actually taste any of the wine which was very interesting to me because I knew it was a lot of the, you know, a lot of it was smelling, but I didn't know how much it actually was. Uh, it actually took a while to get my smell back. And so I was just going crazy, not being able to have a glass of wine and enjoy it. Right. Oh man. Yeah, there you go. And have you ever, uh, have you gotten to a point where, I mean, I, I assume for, for your studies, you've, you've started writing tasting notes. Do you do it on a, on yeah. a regular basis? Yeah, I do. Okay. I've got a nice little booklet. Spencer, how many tasting notes have you written in your life? Very few. All right. Well, maybe, maybe maybe tonight's the night. Very few. Might have to start hanging out with Kellen more. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Perfect. He wants to get over the yellow tail, and so he's coming to my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, and then uh, so after you've you know you've you've uh, swirled it, you've sniffed the wine. Now we get to finally do what sort of looks like the fun part, um, which is which is to taste the wine. But I think you'll you'll often notice that. Uh, that wine pros do not really taste like normal human beings. They do a uh, pretty wide variety of, uh, of bizarre gurgling and gargling and, uh, and aerating. So I, I think I'm kind of like mid spectrum of how strange my, my personal aeration is, but, uh, but we'll see if you guys, if you guys want to try it and not swallow right away and actually bring some air bubbles over the wine while you're tasting. Oh, uh, I'll show you yours. If you show me mine. Yeah, all right. Mm, delicious. I should say I'm the one I, I I pulled the glass on the left, which is the uh which is our first wine of the night, which is the uh the Saint Combe Pros Hermitage, which is a Syrah from uh the Northern Rhone Valley in France. Um so, so why do we do that? Um, cause it's, I mean, it's undeniably weird and we'll, we'll always get you looks, uh, you know, if you start, if you start pulling that move out in a tasting room and start spinning into spit buckets, you'll absolutely get some, some stares. Um, we do it for a few reasons. <clears throat> One is back to oxygen and aeration. You're, you're basically introducing oxygen to the wine and broadening the number of, um, of flavor elements that your taste buds can perceive. You're also spreading the wine out to 
uh, as broad a swath of your palate uh, as you possibly can. You know, you've got you've got taste bud and flavor receptors all over the place. So, you know, if you're if you're just sipping and swallowing, you're really not going to get um, the same experience as as kind of um, letting it letting it wash all over there. Um, uh, and then um, and then the other thing is, and we'll we'll get into what this all means later. Uh, it'll, it does allow you to perceive the texture and the body of the wine uh, a little more. And again, it, the the broader uh, the broader the portion of your palate that's actually experiencing the wine, the um, you know the more data you have to um, to understand what's going on there. Um, okay. Oh, and then of course, I'm sure you guys saw that I did not I did not swallow the wine. Um, although that's probably going to change pretty soon here. Um, but when we're tasting for evaluating, um, uh, we generally spit, spit into, uh, spit into a spit bucket, um, which, you know, is really only gross if, uh, if you decide to, uh, drink it like Paul Giamatti and sideways, otherwise it's perfectly, perfectly sanitary. Um, the reason, the reason we spit, um, I mean, I think it's probably pretty simple. I don't know that you need my class to understand what happens if you don't spit wine and you uh, you continue to to taste and sample wine throughout the day. Your powers of evaluation start to decrease a little. Um, and I'll, uh, I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to our celebrities and ask: if, Have you guys ever been on like actual wine tasting days where you've gone around to a number of different wineries and, and tasted a bunch of wine? I have I have a few times out in Woodenville. My parents are living out uh, northeast Seattle, but uh, my dad goes out and pours out there on the weekends sometimes. So every once in a while, we'll go and meet him out there. Um, but I presume Kellen has quite a few experiences of uh, hopping around vineyards, so I'll let him take this one. I have, and it, before I learned how to spit out wine, and and that was the reason for it, um, I have lost my taste many of times. Uh, you can't evaluate any kind of wine. Even my first lesson as a student, um, I had 10 bottles that we were studying and I didn't realize. Um, so after yeah, I started spitting the first few glasses and then I realized, oh, I can't really taste as much yet. I wasn't used to it. And so I started swallowing and I was not fit, not fit uh, for the last class. <laughs> Yeah, they learn my lesson quickly. The good news is usually, usually if you're not spitting, you know, it's it's remarkable how the, you know, the last winery stop of the day inevitably has just the very best wines. It's just a, you always buy, you always buy from the last winery, <laughs> and you go home and you're always disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you open those those twelve bottles uh, later, yeah. 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 Why did I do that? It's true. Um, Jeremiah, when was the last time you spit wine? I I'll be honest. I I've I have been out wine tasting a, a few times, and I think I could probably count the number of spits on a hand, which might not even need a, a finger. I, say, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't do a lot of spitting on. I like. I I don't have a. I don't. I I drink it and I go I like this and I buy like I'm I'm a very poorly di like I'm not a discerning wine drinker I well before this class before this class is why I'm here yeah like I need to learn how to like yeah it tastes good that's that's like my note most of the time 
<laughs> you know, that is, I mean, uh, that is a good starting place. You know, a lot of times uh, when, uh, when wine drinkers are getting started, what we'll talk about is like learning, learning to trust your palate. And the first, you know, the first thing before you get into all the, all the evaluation is, is trusting yourself to know what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, the, the trick of this kind of stuff is that, or the next step that you can take is to understand why you like what you like, and then to start to be able to take some of the mystery out of it and, um, and be, be able to more consistently, you know, at wine shops or restaurants, order, order things that you're actually going to enjoy. So that's the idea. All right. Well, uh, we are going to move on to, uh, to the second topic of the, of the night, which is, uh, comparing wine styles. So we're going to look at both wines, um, already, I already showed our first bottle, um, which is Syrah from the Northern Rhone. Our second bottle is also a Syrah, um, two vintners, uh, in, uh, here in Washington state. And this is their 2018 Syrah. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to choose these two wines is that, um, wine is extraordinarily complicated. And so one thing that really helps, um, when you're comparing side by side is to hold a lot of the variables constant and just change a few things and start to be able to pick out differences. So what's, what's hopefully interesting about tonight's comparison is that we're, we're looking at the same uh, grape variety, which is Syrah, um, the same vintage. So both, both of these wines were uh, harvested as grapes in the autumn of 2018. Um, and, uh, and this was more luck than skill, but they were actually both uh, aged in reasonably manner, uh, which is uh, um, all French oak, a little bit of new oak in both cases, um, and mostly in uh, larger punch and size barrels, which uh, as opposed to smaller barriques, which have a lot of uh, surface area. So um, a lot of similarities, but one main difference, which is that they're is that they're grown in completely different places. Um, the Northern Rhone Valley uh, in France, like, like many European wine regions, is quite a bit cooler, uh, cooler climate than, uh, than a lot of non-European regions, and Washington included. Um, you know, as I think most of you who are taking the class know, uh, the vast majority of Washington's wine growing region is in the uh, eastern half of the state um, where it is it is quite sunny and warm um, so uh, the thing to keep in mind uh, to start out with is that is that wine is an agricultural product I mean it's made it's made from fruit so uh, and grapes like any other fruit um, you know get get ripe depending on uh, depending on the conditions so if you have a cooler climate region, those grapes are not going to get quite as ripe. So, and what I mean by that is that the, the sugar levels, um, the sugar levels in the grapes are not going to be as high at the time of harvest. And oftentimes the acidity levels will be higher than in a warmer, in a warmer region, the acidity levels start to drop out as you get close to harvest. So, um, you know, in France, they're going to be harvesting grapes with, uh, with lower sugar and higher acidity. In Washington, it's going to be uh, higher sugar and a little bit lower acidity. And when those grapes get uh, turned into wine, fermented and turned into wine, you can actually see those differences pretty clearly. Um, 
you know, all that, all that sugar uh, has to do one of two things. It either, it either gets fermented by yeast uh, into alcohol or it stays as residual sugar. Um, and in the case of these two wines and most red wines, it is uh, fermented to dryness. So what happens is all that, all that sugar turns into alcohol. So what you would expect uh, as, we, as we start to check these out is that, uh, is that the wine from the Northern Rhone uh, is going to have uh, lower alcohol and higher acidity. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, generally, as I was saying before, it's, it's, uh, it's a good idea to, um, if, you're, if you have these wines side by side, which I would encourage, um, s- to sniff both or to smell both before you taste either one uh, and start to think about, um, you know, what is, what is the fruit quality? Which, which wine has uh, sort of lighter or redder fruits? Which wine has darker uh, or blacker fruits? Um, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn it to, to Kellen for a sec to get his thoughts on the, on the aromas of these two wines. I would say, any, I'd, I'd, do you have anything? Like, left? Yeah, there's definitely some left. All right. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> luckily I have a whole bottle to fill it up if I need. Um, I'd say for me, it's the easiest way to put it is I think about colors. I think about, you know, what I, what I smell in the sense of, uh, a picture with the Crows Amitage from France, you kind of get this bright, very colorful picture. Um, something that has just, it's clean, uh, everything you're tasting. And then when you go to the, the two vinters, um, out of Washington, it's almost like it's hiding behind something. It's almost like it's 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 a a, a fog. It's an early morning fog in, in Washington. Um, you're waiting for it to go away. Uh, it just kind of brings that darkness into it. So uh, a little bit of grayness. This, this has the darker fruits. It has a little bit more. Um, I think it has a little bit of like sage or thyme in there as well. Um, while the other one is more bright. Yeah. Great. Do you spend all day writing that, or did you just come up with that on the spot there? That <laughs> <laughs> is on top of the dome, dude. Wow, dude. You're only in phase two? That sounds like phase four to me. Yeah, I think, I think he's at least ready to pass WSET three. Um, <laughs> Spencer, what, what, do, you, uh, do you smell differences between these wines? How, do, would you say the, that these smell more, more similar or, or different from one another? I would say that they smell different from one another, but I don't know if I have the terminology <laughs> to be able to articulate exactly how I feel that they smell differently. But yeah, well, one, no, one, one way that I we think could, they, there are certainly some differences. One way that we could start, you know, I mean, uh, like uh, those of us in the wine trade tend to like, uh, or, you know, an enthusiast tend to like get really deep in the weeds about like, is this a, you know, is that a, a uh, blackberry or a raspberry or a mulberry or a cherry, um, which could, you know, get a little crazy. I would just start with um, even just classes of fruit colors, you know, do, yeah. um, does one of these smell more like, you know, red fruits or black fruits? I mean, do you have a, do you have a sense of, of uh, a feeling that one or the other uh, has sort of a different, different color to the fruit quality? Not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, fair enough. So I would say, uh, you know, for me and and for my nose, the yeah, the French the French wine is a little bit 
lighter colored fruits. So more bright red cherries and, and red fruits. The, the two vintner Syrahs is bordering into darker, blacker fruits, black cherries and uh, blackberries and that sort of thing. Really um, enough, I'm getting like a blueberry muffin on that two vintners. Well, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks uh, talk about Washington Syrah as, as kind of blueberry pie juice. So that's, uh, mm -hmm. that's definitely a note that, uh, that comes out. Um, so I actually had a question that's along these lines, but maybe, maybe this isn't the best place for it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you mentioned <laughs> Woodenville, you mentioned Woodenville, but most of the wine, most, there's all these wineries in Woodenville, but almost none of the, that's not, most of them aren't based there, right? Or they're not, they're not growing their grapes there. Why is Woodenville so, such a big, uh, such, such a big wine hub? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of the it's one of the conundrums of Washington, and I'll I mean I'll give the short answer and the long answer. the The short answer for why Woodenville is such a big wine hub is uh, Chateau Saint Michel. Um, uh, it is just the dominant player in the Washington wine scene, and has been for a really long time. So what, they set up shop there and became kind of a center of gravity for wine tourism. And a lot of fairly smart people realized that if they set up uh, tasting rooms around St. Michelle, they would uh, get the folks that don't want to make just one, one stop in their wine touring day. Um, but it, you know, it presents a, it does present a bit of a challenge for Washington insofar as uh, the vast majority of uh, the grapes are grown east of the Cascades. Uh, whereas we have a, a pretty large number of wineries uh, that have set up west of the Cascades. And that's, um, you know, in a lot of ways, because wineries want to set up in places that are close to population centers because it's really nice to be able to uh, sell wine directly to, to people who come into your tasting room. And because a lot of winemakers would rather live um, in the Puget Sound than, um, than live in uh, Zilla um, or, or even Walla Walla. Um, uh, sorry if we have any Zilla residents uh, on the call. Um, uh, but what does make it a little bit tricky um, or it's a, it's a critique of the, the Washington wine industry sometimes is that there, you do lose something by, uh, by being as far away from the, the vineyards um, as you are. Now the, the, the most dedicated uh, Washington winemakers are out in Eastern Washington constantly around harvest time and just tasting nonstop and, and put thousands of miles on, on their cars. But you know, the, the ones who maybe aren't quite as dedicated or depending on the, the farmers and the growers to kind of make the, make the picking the timing decisions for them. Um, and it's just not the same as, uh, you know, as, as having the, the winery and the production facility right next to uh, where the grapes are grown. All right. Well, I have an, I have another, this one came from one of someone in the audience. Uh, Lickett actually, he says, uh, this is for Spencer and or Kellen. Uh, not sure when you when Spencer found out that Kellen was like a big wine guy, but are there any new teammates they've met that they found out have a shocking hobby or talent? I don't think so. I don't think there's been enough time yet, especially with with yeah. COVID. I feel like you spend less time at the facility. You know, they don't want us eating breakfast together and eating lunch together, and we're not going away to Arizona for preseason or things like that so um nothing that spicy yet a lot of golfers a lot of uh yeah. stock market discussions but 
lot of coffee discussions. Nothing, yeah. nothing that crazy. I don't. Not nothing that I've heard at least. Yeah, I'll throw a twist in there just because I've I've spoken to him a bunch. A bird watcher. We got a bird watcher. Whoa. Who's the bird watcher? <laughs> just gonna let that sit. <gasps> bird watcher. It's not me. It's not Spence. It's not myself. It's a good old Shane O'Neill. Wow. He's, he he likes Dude, he likes the birds. Pig, he likes no. his wil- he likes his wilderness. Um, okay. Guy from Colorado loves the big outdoors. Okay. Likes his, his peace and serenity, and that's his bird watching. Hey, shout out to Shane O'Neill how, how for actually, St. Patty's Day. Yeah, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. right. Point. Crack a Guinness uh, for him later. Is anyone else? Uh, are are any other wine? Are there? Who are the other wine guys on the team? There, I, there has to be a couple others, right? I don't think so. No. How about Adrian? Have you talked wine with Adrian yet? No. Um, he hasn't told you. Guy he Nolan a... does, but he hasn't. He hasn't had you over for wine yet, Kellen. I know. What hey, the? How do you? Bit disappointing. That was yeah, part I'm of my kidding. signing bonus. I'm lucky, man. What my signing bonus was a bottle of wine. <laughs> He owns a winery, I think. That how am I, how am I just hearing about this? I, I, how am I just <laughs> hearing about this? Yeah, ask him. I think I think he owns like an Argentinian winery or something. Wow. I, hit them. Hit him up. Yeah, I'll just give him a call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I get right. it. Who's this? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know my number. Go ahead, Paul. I'll, I'll I'll work in some other questions later. You can. I don't want to get you too off off your. Game. Oh no, that's, that's no problem. You got another one queued up, or, or should I move it along? Uh, no, go. I, I'll I'll hold on to this other one. Okay. Um, Good. Yeah. Hold so, on. uh, so one of the uh, you know, one of the reasons that um uh, that I wanted to spend so much time sort of obsessing over the uh the nose of the wine or the aromas is that um. Is that again? Uh, we have a tendency to, um, a lot of times, overfocus on uh, flavor and underfocus on texture when it comes to wine. And you can really learn a lot about wine and where it's from, and and also what types of wines you like um, when you start to pay attention to to texture. I've I found that um, that it's a better, it's really a better indicator than flavor over time of what uh, of what type of wine someone likes. If you get a sense of whether they like lighter or fuller body wines, more or less tannic wines, higher or lower acid wines. You can really start to dial in on what someone's, what someone's palate is. So I wanted to, I wanted to talk about uh, texture uh, in wine and how you, how you evaluate it. Um, so I think of, uh, I think of texture as having uh, two components. And the first, uh, the first component is uh, body and the second component is structure. And we'll, we'll get into, structure, but let's, let's start with body. Um, the best way to think about body in wine is, uh, in my opinion, is to think more about, uh, milk, um, which, which is a little strange, but bear with me. Um, so when you think about the difference between, um, how skim milk, uh, feels in your mouth versus 2% versus whole versus, I mean, I don't know, am I the only one that's ever, you know, had a, had a small glass of half and half, um, but like whipping cream. So like, um, so the texture of skim milk is akin to, uh, is akin to the texture of a light bodied wine. So wines, um, like certain Pinot Noirs, Gamay Noirs, and a lot of white wines, 
um, tend to be lighter bodied. Um, a medium bodied wine is going to feel a little more like, um, you know, like maybe a 2% uh, bordering on, on a whole milk, you know, that kind of, that kind of body um, in your mouth. And then uh, a, uh, a full bodied wine is really going to be like borderline chugging the half and half from the, from the container. You can start to get it. If you start to get into like uh, dessert wines or fortified wines, then we, then we can talk about um, guzzling heavy cream. But for the most part, uh, we're going to talk about light, medium and, and full bodied wines. So, um, so let's, let's maybe taste these two again, side by side and, and talk about, talk about body. All right. So, Kellen, if you were if you were writing a if you were writing a W set note on these on the body, where would where would where would you put each of these? Well, I just as I just. Uh oh. I think we've lost. Did we lose Kellen's audio? I think, I think we lost so. Kellen. Uh oh. Where's it? Maybe oh. his AirPod died. Oh yeah. All right. So while we while we wait for that, uh, Spencer, did you have a did you have a sense of which of these wines was the that you would you would consider the fuller the fuller bodied of the two? I would say for me, maybe the uh, the two Venters is a little bit more full. Um, yeah. I felt yeah, like the I French. Would. The French one was uh, maybe a little bit lighter, but probably both somewhere in that medium body uh, sort of category. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's perfect. You might you might uh, you might be a little better than you're giving yourself credit for. So I would. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much spot on. Um, I I would agree that the the two vintners is a, is a little fuller bodied, um, but to some degree these aren't these aren't drastically uh, these aren't drastically different. Um, this is not kind of the leanest, meanest uh, French wine that we've ever poured. Um, you know, you would maybe describe the uh, the French wine as um, medium bodied or or maybe medium minus, um, and the the two vintners is more like medium, medium plus. Uh, you know, getting getting towards full. Um, yeah, do we have do we have Kellen back? Oh, oh luck! All right. We're, so, Kellen, we're just—I don't know if you can hear us, but I think we're gonna, you're gonna have to switch your mic source. But all right, I—I'm gonna ask—I'm gonna ask a question. Do this time. <laughs> so uh, this is so this is from Derek Young. He says, "Is the sugar acid issue why some wineries talk about their vineyard being on the shady side of the hills?" Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely when a lot of times when wineries are talking about the location of their vineyards, it is going to relate to how ripe or not, um, the wines are going to get, uh, you know, the other, the other reason that they would talk about hillsides, especially is, um, uh, is hills, hillsides are generally <clears throat> pretty well prized for, uh, for vineyards. And that's, that's, uh, that's for two main reasons. One is, one is water drainage, um, you know, you want water to, to drain and not to pool, 
around the roots of your grapevines. Uh, and also for air drainage, hillsides tend to not run into trouble with uh, frost. Um, frost can be a real, a real pain uh, when you're growing grapes in marginal climates. Um, you know, you can get spring frost that can, that can knock you out before the grape, uh, before the vine even gets started. Uh, and then autumn frost that, uh, that can hurt the vine before it's kind of shut down for the winter. Um, hillside vineyards tend to have more airflow and are less frost susceptible than a flatland or a, or a bowl. Um, but yeah, usually when, uh, usually when wineries are, are talking about, uh, their vineyard sites, some, some portion of it is around, uh, is around the climate. Um, you know, they'll, they they'll probably reference soil type sometimes too. And it all, it all sort of adds up to this, uh, this, this French notion of terroir, which is a word that we haven't really translated into English because there's nothing that we have that exactly, uh, gets at it, but it's, it's sort of sense of place would be the, the, the closest. You know, not just as a complete aside, I just have to share this. I had never heard that word before yesterday. I was talking mm-hmm. to the, one of the, the people that works at Stoop Brewing who made the, the Yachtcon beer, which I, I swear I'm not saying that just to plug that, but he was talking about terroir. I had no idea what he was talking about. Now I know what he was talking about. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Well, yeah, the, the idea of ter- terroir is a pretty, a pretty critical concept for those of us who like really get into and love wine. And the reason is because it, it sort of differentiates it from uh, a lot of other agricultural products. And it's why, it's why wine looks so different in a grocery store than a lot of other products. It's why the wine section is, is so dispersed. And, the, and even though you have, um, uh, you know, you have some big players, you always, it's still very much a cottage industry in a way that a lot of, uh, you know, you don't see like, you don't see 500 different cans of types of cans of beans at the QFC, but like they're, the wine section is just, you know, this incredible um, breadth. And part of that is because it's, it's a, um, it's a type of agricultural product that expresses itself differently uh, depending on where it's grown. And that's a really unique thing about, uh, about vinifera, about that type of wine grape. And it's, uh, it's what gets, uh, gets those of us who get excited about wine, really excited about wine. All right. Um, so, uh, we talked about body, uh, and now I want to talk about, uh, structure. So structure, um, there's two, two main components to, to structure in wine. Um, one of them is, uh, acid or acidity, uh, and the other is tannin. And they're both kind of balancing factors for, for fruit. And, and, uh, they both sort of balance out the fruit to make, um, a more palatable and delicious wine. so, uh, so acidity, which, which turns up in, uh, white wines and red wines, um, you know, I think, I think we all have a pretty, a pretty good sense of how to perceive, uh, acidity. When you think about, uh, a high, like a high acid beverage would be a glass of orange juice or a glass of grapefruit juice. And you sort of feel it, uh, a lot of times on the sides of your tongue, higher acid, um, you know, I think of acidity in wine the same way that I think of um, salt with with cooking. You don't want you don't want so much that your food tastes salty or that your wine tastes um, acidic. But when it's when it's done right, uh, just like salt sort of makes food taste more like itself, a proper amount of acidity in wine really just makes the flavors pop. It makes them taste uh, more like themselves. So, 
Um, oh, welcome back, Kellen. Thank you. Hopefully you guys can hear me again. Yeah. We can. All right. Woo. That was good, good means to good uh, stress testing there of our system. Yeah, that's great. I, I was playing, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry you missed out on your chance. You missed your chance to talk about uh, wine body, but in return, you get to talk about an even geekier topic, which is wine acidity. So uh, having had a few sips of these, give me, give me your take on, uh, on, the, on which wine is, is higher acid. Higher acid for me is definitely the Crows Hermitage. Um, I mean, uh, you could, if you were to hold, once you swallow or spit, you hold your mouth closed for a few seconds and you open down, you would be drooling. Um, and that is you know, a good test that it's very acidic. Your mouth just continues to water through those cheeks. That's right. Thank you. That's actually a, that's a great uh, reminder. That is definitely another way to perceive acidity is that acidity is uh, activates salivary glands. And, you know, if you find yourself after you're swallowing, like, you know, ready to like gleek halfway across the room or, you know, drool on the floor, um, chances are you have just had a sip of a high acid wine. Um, uh, and it's it's not that uh, and it's not that the two vintners um, does not have acidity. It has it has some balancing acidity, but I, I think you'll find that it's notably lower than uh, than the crows, which is what you'd expect. I mean, again, it's a, a very different growing region, much much warmer. Something that my just I think she was angry at me, my wine teacher. Uh, she said before a tasting, she would make me bite into a lemon. And that's how you test your acidity, most acidic thing you find. Wow. I'd have to count how long it was. And then with each one, you kind of go off the highest acidity possible. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is like. It is a good uh, test. Yeah. Like masochistic wine class. I like <laughs> it. I need to, I'm going to need to get the business card for this teacher. I know. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We are, we're not going to make anyone chew uh, on a lemon tonight. Uh, but I will say a good, a good way, uh, if you want a, a similar fruit test for, uh, tannin, um, uh, you know, one time long ago in a weird evening on the, on the Jersey shore, uh, I, I grew up outside of Philly. Um, I had reason to, uh, bite into and chew a banana peel for a while. It's an mm. extremely high tannin, uh, food product. Um, so let's get into, let's get into tannin. Um, so tannins, tannins show up in, uh, in a lot of different foods and beverages. They definitely show up in tea. Um, uh, they show up in banana skin, uh, and they show up in, in, uh, in wines. They show up in, in wines in a couple different ways. Um, there are tannins in, uh, grape skins. There are tannins in grape seeds. Um, and there is tannin that can be extracted from, uh, oak barrels, um, uh, now, as much as much as uh, I've studied wine and, and tasted wine, I I have still never gotten to the point where I can really uh, distinguish between fruit and wood tannin. I I do think I've gotten to a point where I can distinguish between um, skin and seed tannin, only insofar as um, the, the seed tannins tend to be extremely astringent. So, and that's the thing about tannins. That's how you uh, measure tannins as you're uh, as you're tasting wine is the sense of astringency uh, in your mouth or to put it another way, like how sort of gum puckery and drying um, is the, uh, is the sensation. Um, and 
I mean, you might be asking yourself at this point, why is that a pleasant, like, why would, why would you want tannins in your wine? That doesn't sound delicious. Um, and if you're thinking about wine as a cocktail, there's some, there's some truth to that. Uh, you know, if you're just, if you're just having kind of sip after sip of wine, high tannin wines are really not that pleasant. You know, that's why you won't find many people drinking high tannin, uh, wines like, um, like Barolo made from the Nebbiolo grape, uh, just on its own. But tannin is an extremely important, uh, piece of food pairing. Um, and the reason why it's important is that tannins basically, uh, you know, that, that uh, gum sucking sensation is real. And what, it, what they do is they essentially uh, scrape fats and lipids off of, your, off of your palate. So if you, you know, if you're tucking into like a, a nice medium rare ribeye um, and you have a big tannic Cabernet Sauvignon next to it and you're actually interspersing bites of food with sips of wine, you know, each sip of that cab is going gonna, is gonna to basically cleanse your palate. It's going to scrape some of the some of the fats um, off your mouth, and it's going to make each successive bite of steak taste, uh, for lack of a better word, steakier. Um, so that's uh, so that's kind of that's tannins. I'm going to pour myself a little more here, and then we'll uh, we'll taste these two wines again and and try to think about think about tannin. Now, I will say, um, Syrah is not a notoriously um, tannic grape, uh, but they are, they are present. And I think, I think we can probably figure out some, some differences between these two. So this feels like a good place to ask because I, I think this is appropriate. So I'm assuming rosés don't have a lot of tannins, right? That, that is, that is a, that is a great question. Thank you. And I meant to mention that. Yeah. Let's talk about rosés. All right. <laughs> we'll talk about, we'll talk about rosés and we'll talk about tannins. So when I, when I introduced acidity, I said, you know, both white wines and red wines and rosés um, contain acidity. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to tannin, it's, it's uh, quite rare to experience white wines or rosés uh, with any significant amount of tannin. Um, and the reason is it really comes down to the way that each of those different wines is made. So, um, you know, with red wines, uh, you're generally, um, the, the, the grapes are going to sit in ferment and, uh, and the, the fermenting juice is going to have, um, extended amounts of contact with, uh, with the grape skins. And, and an important thing to know is that, um, even, even red wine grapes have basically white wine juice. If you press those right away, you will get a white wine. So all the color in red wines comes from the grape skins and it comes from the time uh, where the juice is soaking on the skins. And then eventually you, you press the juice off uh, the skins and you have, your, you have your red wine. But during that time, when the juice is soaking up color, it's also soaking up tannin. When you make white wines um, and most rosés, the amount of skin contact is negligible uh, because you don't, want, you don't want any color you know, and with rosé, you just want a little bit of color, which is usually translates to, uh, you know, you're counting the skin contact in hours, not in days. And so there's not really enough time for tannins to um, accumulate. Now, I will say, um, you know, for the, for the geeks among us, yes, there are extended skin contact whites. They're pretty trendy these days. Uh, and those will, those will have some notable 
um, some notable tannin, uh, but it's very much still uh, still the exception. Paul, those are the orange wines. Yep, there are a lot of times they're referred to as orange wines. That's right, because uh, and that's because they do take on a bit of an orange uh, tinge, partly from the partly from the color of the skins and partly from uh, some oxidation that happens. Just in the same way as uh, if you leave a, a cut apple. Uh, on your counter, it'll start to turn like a brownish orange color. The same thing happens uh, when wine gets exposed to oxygen. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah, did you have a specific question about uh, rosé beyond that? No, I just wanted to be able to say rosé and uh, I wanted to bring it up because people love their rosés, right? Like they... Rosé is an insanely high <laughs> category. I mean, it is, you know, as, as someone as someone who sells wine, like we just can't even, we just can't buy enough. Why? Uh, and it, what's the deal? What's the, what's the deal with rosé? Why are people loving that so much? I mean, to begin with, they love it because it's delicious. Um, I think, you know, I, I think the, so a couple of different things have happened. I don't know. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing. Like rosés have, especially domestically produced rosés, have gotten a lot better uh, and Washington specifically in the last, I mean, since, you know, I started Full Pull in 09 and, it was a it was a pretty grim rosé scene. Um, so there's, and I'll get at it by quickly talking about the two different ways that you can make rosé. So you can make rosé where you know that you want to make a rosé, and so you harvest the grapes early, where like the acidity is high and the alcohol is low, and you can get this delicious, refreshing rosé. Then there's another way to make rosé where you uh, you harvest your red wine grapes, which you know have probably like 14.5 percent potential alcohol. And you do something called saigne, which, which is French for bleed off. So you bleed off um, a portion of the juice after just a few hours of skin contact. And so what that does is it, it does two things. It concentrates your red wine. So you get an even bigger, richer red wine. And then you also like get free rosé. Now, the problem with it is that if you ferment it all the way to dryness, you're going to have this big boozy rosé at like 15% alcohol that's disgusting. So you have to do one of two things you either have to um you either have to uh, not ferment all that sugar uh, to alcohol and so then you end up maybe with a 13 percent alcohol rosé that is noticeably sweet which is also you know oftentimes kind of gross or uh or you just add gallons and gallons of water which dilutes your amount of alcohol but also totally dilutes the flavor so that was kind of the scene of washington rosé uh, 10 or 15 years ago most of them were made like that and they were pretty bad now most of them are made in the direct press method. And, and, uh, and so the, the rosés have gotten a lot better and the appetite for them has grown. I mean, I think like most wine trends, it seems like those things start in, in restaurants and it started with um, sommeliers and, and wine buyers in restaurants being more confident that they could sell, uh, you know, rosé, not just in the summertime, but all year long. It's a, it's a fantastic food pairing wine, you know, it's because it is a tweener between white and red. And so it, it can, it can pair with all sorts of different things. And I also think like, I don't know, and, and this is true of sparkling wines too, at least for the past year and, and the upcoming year, like it's just a little festive and like we, we need a little festivity in our lives right now. And it's just nice to like have this beautiful pink wine. Uh, you know, it's like, at least we have this. Yes. So, okay. So this is actually came from Emily in our internal chat. She wants to know, was that Behringer White Zinn a rosé before rosé was rosé? 
I think that, she just wanted me to say rosé three times. Yeah, that Baron de White did. Thank you. Is is absolutely that is a that is uh, um, that is a uh, Senye method rosé that is made from from Zinfandel, which is a red grape, uh, and that is one where they uh, rather than let the uh, rather than let all that grape sugar ferment to dryness, uh, kept quite a bit of residual sugar, and so. Uh, and actually quite a bit of alcohol too. So you really get, you get a little of, of everything, a nice, a nice sweet boozy. Uh, and just, I mean, my parents' basement fridge was like borderline a freezer. So it was just ice cold and middle of summer. And I just thought it was the most delicious thing I had ever had in my life. Well, so this is a, I, before I, I forget to ask this one, I just want to get it out there. It, it's not associated at all with what we're talking about, but Wade Weber, Wade Weber asked, Wade Weber wants me to ask a question. I'm going to ask a question. Yeah, uh, he wants to. He wants to know what the Sounders wine is that you got behind you is. Oh my God! Right? Yeah, I don't know how she spotted that, but yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, I, I was I his wife. Never opened, I've never opened these. One of my one of my buddies, uh, uh, one of my buddies was gifted these. I think I think uh, it, it's one of my distributor friends, and they were trying to get these into distribution, and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna work with them, uh, but he thought I would enjoy having, having them. them. I don't know, like. I assume they're licensed. I hope so. I don't want to get a lawsuit out of this class. Okay? <laughs> I'm, just like a, I'm like a humble. I'm a humble teacher. I can't afford, you know, expensive lawyer, trademark lawyers. So, uh, so hopefully, Wade, hopefully Wade will cover my attorney's fees if it comes to that. Yeah, well, Wade's wife will. Oh, she, it's her fault, I guess. That's who asked. <laughs> but anyway, I sorry for the digression. I don't. I want to get you oh, two no, off your game. No problem. Um, yeah, so I would say just getting really quickly back to to uh, tannin. Uh, neither one of these is is a is a super tannic wine. I would say that the um, the French wine is is slightly more uh, is slightly more tannic than the uh, than the Washington uh, than the Washington Syrah. Um, Kellen Spencer, do you guys you guys want to weigh in on that? Do you have any feelings? Go ahead, Spence. Uh, I nailed my my body answer, so I'm gonna just leave it one for one for the night. You can take it. Yeah. Quit while you're ahead. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I would say the differences of tannins for me. I've learned to like structure the tannins a little bit and how they kind of feel in your mouth. Um, the French is more of a dusty. Like there's you got some sand or dust in, in your mouth a little bit. While the Washington one is more of like, you know, when you're at the dentist and they blow the, the air, it's all air. That's what I felt like in Washington. Those are my tandem notes. Perfect. Um, all right. And now uh, oh, I think I think Spencer's, Spencer's pizza just arrived. So let's go. Oh, I, <laughs> he's calling at the door. He wants to come hang out. So oh, we're going to let him in. Um, so I am, I am curious to hear uh, – Spencer, which 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 of these wines uh, which of these wines did you like better? Oh, that is a cute dog. Which of these he, wines? He's been like? at the door for like a half hour, so we're gonna <laughs> let him in. Big wine, big wine fan, I could tell. Look uh, at that. Uh, which which wine did you Trump. prefer? I know we're not we're not drinking these with with food, so this really <laughs> is kind of a, as a cocktail wine. But which of these two wines did you like better? Um, I typically prefer lighter bodied wines. I feel like oftentimes when I'm drinking wine it's also associated with eating good food so i tend to prefer pinot noirs and lighter bodied wines um so for me i will go with the uh french wine okay 
Helen, how about you? How did you feel about tonight's beverages? Um, I'm also on the French side. Um, I'm also a little biased. I love my French wines. Uh, I also like that just that clean, bright uh, kind of wine. Yeah. All right. A couple of francophiles. Well, I'll, I'll go a different direction. For me, since I'm, since we're uh, since I don't have a nice plate of uh, charcuterie in front of me, I, uh, uh, and I'm drinking this as a cocktail, I will say that uh, that Mr. Morgan Lee's uh, two vintner Syrah was completely delicious tonight. Very enjoyable. Uh, Jeremiah, were you tasting both wines? You know, I'll be honest with you. I only opened one bottle because I knew that uh, I'm the only one in my house right now who's drinking it, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to like waste a bottle of wine, so I only opened the French wine. I liked it a lot. I don't have yeah. so I didn't have any notes on the Washington wine. I did like this one. Right. I thought it changed throughout, and I I would imagine, and maybe you can get into this. I felt like it changed throughout the. I opened it pretty close to the start of the recording. And so it didn't have a lot of time to aerate or to, is that the right term? Yeah. Whew, look at that. Nailed it. Uh, and so it, I actually feel like it did change throughout the, throughout the recording of this. Yeah. Um, I, I bet it did. It, and it, and it ought to, I mean, um, yeah, wine, uh, wine really evolves with oxygen. And so a lot of the, a lot of the various, gadgets that you see everything from pouring spouts that aerate to um you know like Riedel trying to convince you to buy six hundred dollar really like swan shaped decanters uh, to you know that's all uh variations on a theme of like uh, getting oxygen into the wine it's the same reason why um uh for the most part a lot of especially with red wines or wines that are supposed to age, that's why they're finished with, uh, with cork. It's because cork is oxygen permeable and it does slowly let, uh, let oxygen into the wine in that very small surface area of the cork. Uh, and that's how wines will evolve in your, in your cellar too. So, you know, one way to look at it, it's not an exact analog, but if you, if you leave a wine open for a couple of days or decant it over time, it's a little bit of a predictor of what it would do if, you know, you translated that to years um, mm. in your cellar. So uh, this is a uh, is a good time for questions. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we're I think we're kind of done with the main topics, and I'm I'm happy to happy to take questions. All right. Well, this one is from uh, T Ghost. I don't I I don't know what is that's what he goes by. Uh, so, how much does the same wine change from vintage to vintage? Is it a matter of quality, or do you expect a different taste profile? Or does it depend on variables like vineyard sourcing? Yeah. Um, yeah, vintage. Uh, so vintage is important. It's more important um, in regions that have dodgier climates. Um, it's less important in... Well, what's um, a dodgy climate? Tell me what a, what's yeah. a dodgy climate. Yeah, so like I would say to, to keep it close to home, like the Willamette Valley, dodgy climate. Uh, Columbia Valley in Washington like not so dodgy, like the Columbia Valley is basically a big, a big irrigated desert. Um, so you get vintage variation, but not much. I mean, summers in Eastern Washington are pretty consistently sunny and warm uh, and, and completely dry. Um, so you just don't have to worry much as long as you have, uh, as long as you have irrigation, you're fine. Uh, growing Pinot Noir down in the Willamette Valley is a lot more, is a lot more challenging uh, because it barely, they barely get enough heat units to, to ripen Pinot Noir and, and Pinot Noir among red grapes uh, needs about as few 
heat units as, as anything else. So you can barely get Pinot Noir ripe. And then in, in, invariably, it starts to rain right around the time when you want to harvest grapes. So you've got all these, um, all these complex decisions around, like, do we, oh God, it's about to rain for eight days. Do we pick the grapes now, even though they're not fully ripe? Or do we take our chances and let it hang? Because, you know, um, when, vin- when grapes and vineyards get wet, you run into mold and mildew and all sorts of problems, you know, and this is right at the end. You've had a, like a five month growing season and you're like four days away from harvest and, and, and this stuff crops up. So all that to say, I pay a lot more attention to vintage when I'm buying um, Oregon Pinot Noir uh, than when I'm buying um, stuff from Eastern Washington. It's not to say that it doesn't matter at all. There's uh, there, there are definitely stronger and weaker vintages from Washington, but um, but you just see it in a much more pronounced way when the, when the climate is, uh, is trickier. So as usual, Oregon is garbage. Is that what you're <laughs> That's right. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> just, uh, I, I generally build, build bonfires for, uh, for Oregon Pinot Noir. That's what, and everyone who drinks. Uh, so this is, this is actually a, another, uh, another viewer, Matt, uh, wants to know, are those Gabriel glass standard art universal glasses Kellen is using? These are Gabriel's. Yeah. Someone has a good eye, I guess. It's a very good eye. Um, wow. these, are, these are a gift for my wine teacher after finishing my bevy set too. What are you oh. drinking out of, uh, Spencer? These are, uh, Bill Ritchie, uh, special. He gave me these, uh, just an hour ago when I graduated from doing the dishes. So nice. <laughs> Nice. Or what's the dog's name? This is Chungus here. I got a squirrel in my hand here. Hey, come here, dude. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're staying at the parents right now, but we just got a purchase agreement signed on a house. So thank God we're closing in two weeks. Where are you? Where 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 in Seattle? Is it in Seattle? Yes, uh, just south of Green Lake. So kind of like Wallingford, Tangletown area. Oh my God! You're gonna be my neighbor. What's the address? <laughs> but the the dog is uh this is chungus here hey yeah he doesn't the, want to come like, on camera more power to you for being willing to go through this uh this housing market is brutal out there luckily we got tipped off on a off-market house and that's how we Ooh. ended up getting it but we put an offer on one five six weeks ago that had 30 offers on it crazy yeah crazy. that is crazy yeah 30 it had 15 pre-inspections it went like 200k over ass something absurd what i was joking that even if you win one of those you're actually the ultimate loser so <laughs> happy we didn't get that one <laughs> yeah are you are you killing are you living at home too are you living at the parents place i got out of there as quick as possible <laughs> nice. I got out of this place, Falcon. No, I'm in Kirkland. Yeah, I went. I went to the east side. Brad would be so happy with you. He is. I'm oh, yeah. sure. Oh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Smart man. He's in the middle of the of the bloodbath. That's the housing market right now as well. So, and, he's and it's in- even worse on the east side. I think we're yeah. getting way off topic but- over there. Yeah. Because then you're talking millions, and it's just like, oh, I can't do that. If you can bring it back to Woodenville, Jeremiah, you know, that's kind of east side. Yeah. 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 Woodenville. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I am, I was curious. When did, so 
Kellen, obviously, at some point, there was a awakening or there was a light bulb. And I know you talked about a specific, like, glass that you had that made you really want to get into wine. But when did you, like, decide that you wanted to, like, do this seriously? Like, not just, you know, not just a normal seriousness, but, like, you were going to go and get licensed and whatnot. Yeah. Or how did you how did you even hear about uh, WSET, for example? Yeah. Uh, I did a trip two off people to go. Uh, up the coast, California. I just drove the coast, all the way up back to Seattle, so from San Diego up, and I wine tasted for about a month, all the way up. Wow. It was an amazing time. We get a lot of time off, and I was running on the beach. Yeah, uh, and uh, I ended up spending about ten days in Napa as well, kind of going around the wineries, trying ones, uh, both cheap, middle, more expensive, seeing which ones if I did have a palate or not. Uh, and I went to Italics which is wandering out there in Coonsville and the head psalm that was leading the tasting uh, ended up being my wine teacher. Um, so Hillary Cole was her name and when we went through quarantine, she kind of, uh, she emailed me and said, Hey, look, I'm in quarantine as well. Do you want us to learn about wine? And so we started tasting every week, twice a week. Uh, and then she was the one that recommended um, WSET to me. And it, she, I mean, she told me not to do the one, just go straight into two. I did the one, finished it quickly, and then went straight to the two uh, and had a great time doing it. So she was actually – we still taste. I, mean, I was in I was – and we, we all tasted together, her and my family. So we still very much talk every day. Wow. So I guess – is is it going to be a problem now? Is, is your – is your professional soccer career going to get in the way of achieving the WSET level three? <laughs> I actually have, I have, uh, I'm choosing to hold off on level three just because it is a lot more drinking. Um, cause then you're then you're drinking and tasting a lot of wines. You're then blinding yourself a lot. Uh, and so I need to, uh, actually be a good soccer player and be somewhat fit. So I need to, <laughs> to stop on the drink. Overrated. Yeah. Paul, no. don't, don't worry at training. He still takes the Gatorade bottle drinks the gator and then he just spits it out into the bucket <laughs> on the Everyone's like, why is Kellen like throwing up every twenty minutes? It's so <laughs> weird over there. It's like, no, he's just he's doing wine stuff. Practice. <laughs> Always practice. Yeah, so this find, uh, when you find yourself ahead. when you find yourself aerating uh Gatorade in your mouth, you know you've kind of gone far, far down the rabbit hole. I say, oh, this is a very chalky orange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this one's from Michaela. She wants to know: speaking of vintages, how much will the wildfires in 2020 affect the 2020 vintages from across the West Coast? Yeah, uh, remains to be seen. Um, the The really pernicious thing about uh, smoke taint, which is which is the um, which is the problem with uh, when you get wildfires near near vineyards is that um, is that it doesn't always present itself right away. Um, even in, even in laboratory analysis, sometimes it takes it some, sometimes the grapes will look fine, uh, but you'll start to see smoke taint in the fermenting uh, in in the fermenting bins, and sometimes the fermentations will go fine, and you'll be aging it in a barrel, and all of a sudden you'll experience smoke taint. And sometimes this is the most horrifying thing: it doesn't reveal itself until the wine's already in bottle. Uh, and has been sold. So, um, 
so there's it's a it's a dangerous situation for a lot of wineries. Um, I know, you know, anecdotally, I've heard a lot of wineries chose to um, either either bulk out or declassify, which means they they either just sold their juice on the bulk market to another winery and tried to make back some cash that way, or like declassified means like move wine that would have been intended for a higher price bottling into a lower price bottling to just uh, you know avoid any brand damage from you know getting to a point where they might have a 30 or $40 or $50 wine out of the market that um, smells like an old ashtray. That seems suboptimal as the, as the kids say these days. Uh, So uh, this one is from Lorraine and I don't, I assume this is like a, a thing. Maybe you, I don't get the, I'm just going to ask you, Uh, what are your thoughts on the 28 vintages in Washington? On the, I'm sorry. 2018, the, the 2018 vintages from Washington. Oh, 2018 in Washington. Yeah, um, is there, I don't know. Is there something about 2018 that is notable? No, I think uh, I think it's a vintage that's off to a good start, but it's it's oh, okay. it's early to it's a little early to tell. Um, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the the best wines that come out of Washington are on a bit of a slower release schedule, so we've still mostly seen uh, some of the lower priced uh, 18s. But no, it seems like a very very promising, solid vintage. So do you, uh, this is a question for Spencer and Kellen. Do you have a specific wine that you either associate with a particularly good memory or that you just remember being like the best bottle, best wine you've ever had? I'll go first. Um, I had some, uh, one of my good buddies that I grew up with, his family owns uh, JM Cellars. And oh. so um, sort of throughout my recent, my professional career and my love life with my wife, who got married uh, a year and some change ago, they have sent us bottles of wine um, sort of as a celebration. And so, uh, and I've also been gifted some wine from, close friends also from jam sellers so um that's a winery uh that i love um there are great people over there that run it um and longevity is probably the best bottle um of wine that i've had from them so um yeah good winery good wine good people Uh, i mean i think for me i think wine is all about the what you share it for uh or who you share it with um, so I've had some amazing bottles. I think the only one that I've had on my own uh, that I enjoyed the most was a bottle of the 2016 Continuum, um, which is out of Napa. But the other ones I've shared either uh, on Zoom via, via class, my teacher Hillary, um, or with family and friends. And you remember, you know, we talked about the last the last winery you always buy bottles. Um, usually also, also always buy bottles, the ones you can most fun. Uh, and when you bring it home and you try it on your own without the fun, uh, it's, it's not as good. It is the, part of the atmosphere as well. Um, so it's, I don't, uh, I, I remember who I've drank them with uh, and, and what I was doing more than I do um, bottling themselves. Do you have, do you have one, Paul, or is it too many at this point? Sorry, say that again. Do I have? Do you, oh, do you have like a wine? Is there like a wine that you just like go? Like, let's put it this way: an important anniversary. What are you gonna? What, what are you gonna open up for that? 
Yeah, it's it's all it's almost always going to be champagne. I mean, it's part of the like the founding story of uh, of Full Pull um, was that uh, was that my wife Kelly at the time kind of agreed that I could go and try to start this stupid business, uh, and her uh, and she would kind of keep her steady job and uh, and her good health insurance that covered both of us. And in exchange, the the only requirement was that we always had at least a full case of sparkling wine on hand. Uh, at all times. So, uh, so sparkling wine is, and especially champagne have become kind of our, our go-tos. And I have a feeling we're going to be, we're going to be selling a lot of champagne this year. I think people are going to be really ready to celebrate. All right. Well, that uh, tempting to end on that, but I'm, I'm going to keep going because <laughs> there was another good one in here. Walla Walla versus Chelan. That's uh that's from Justin. I, I just feel like I had to throw that in there. Oh, that's the, that's the question. Yeah. Walla Walla versus Chelan. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, uh, man, how honest do I be here? All right. So, uh, honest. This is a, this is the circle of trust. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It, Brian already set that 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 uh, precedent. It's circle of trust in here. Yeah, there's nobody there's nobody watching, right? At eight o'clock, everybody's out. Yeah, yeah, so, everyone's gone. So, um, so I I have a I have a big problem with Shalan, um, and my big problem with Shalan is that they're is that they're too spoiled. Uh, they, they don't have to, they just don't have to, the wineries there don't have to work hard enough uh, to sell wine because they have this built in tourist audience that comes in there and the tasting rooms are open. Like some of them are open like four months a year, sell out everything they make, you know, with people like walking off with like a case of white wine on their shoulder, like back to their lake house. Um, and so it, it kind of drives me crazy because it's a, it's actually a super interesting area for Washington wine. It's another one of those rare cooler climate, uh, regions. And I don't want to paint with too, too broad a brush. There, there are some wonderful Chelan wineries and, uh, some that we've offered over the years, uh, nefarious sellers being one that I would want to point to there. But for the most part, I just think that, uh, they've, they've had it too easy and it's, it's kind of not, uh, they haven't been really forced to, to innovate and make really like consistent, excellent wines because they just, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like at, at, uh, I can't remember the new name at century Lake or lumen field. Like, I mean, how good do, how good do the food vendors really need to be? Because like, they've got you, they've got you trapped and that's how it is in Chelan. They've got you trapped. Like you're going to buy, you're going to buy the damn wine because you're there and you want to drink ice cold white wine on the lake. So yes. uh, I would use Walla Walla. Kellen, I could tell you had some itch. You needed to get in on that. What's what's? Oh, oh, I, I've actually looked for the same reason that it's a little bit cooler in Chelan. I would love to see what they can produce. I haven't had enough, or really, I don't think I've had any Chelan wines, um, and I haven't had enough Walla Walla to actually make a description, an actual, uh, I guess. But I think I, I imagine Walla Walla is going to win that battle. Well, that I, I do feel like that is probably a good place to to call it because that you got to end on a on a hit like that. Uh, yeah, so is. thank you, thank you so much, Kellen and and Spencer uh, for doing this. I hope it was fun for you. It was definitely fun for me to to watch this, Paul. Uh, I really do appreciate you doing this. I hope if you liked what Paul said, if you found it interesting, check out fullpoolwines.com. I mean, this is like talk about supporting a sounder like they they've been supporting no Sarietis since 2012 i think it's crazy uh he's only yeah, bounced a few checks yeah, to us and, um, and uh, ecs since 2009 there you go but um 
I really a, a reminder if you like this whole shtick that we got going on. We got we have a cocktail class coming up on Friday. We've got a D and D Dungeons and Dragons campaign coming up on Sunday. An art class next Wednesday. We have a pizza making class on the following Friday. We're gonna do an interview with Garth uh, Loggerway on uh, Sunday. We're gonna have a pub quiz. It's we've got a lot left in Yacht College, and uh, we're raising money. We're, we're set an original goal of ten thousand dollars to meet what we did last year for the Seattle Children's Autism Center. I have a feeling that we can blow past that if, uh, if people are into this thing. So anyway, that's my pitch. Thanks again to uh, Spencer Ritchie, Kellen Rowe, uh, Paul Zitarelli. I am Jeremiah O'Shan signing off as your dean of Yacht College. Remember, hopefully we'll all yacht. We'll, we'll be yachting together soon. <laughs> Good night, guys. Good night. See you guys.